This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Natasha Froze and I'm joined by James Heal and Katie Balls. Well, Katie, you were this morning reporting on Labour's big business pledge. Do you think that Labour is a pro-business party? That's what Labour says it is. I think what is more clear right now is that business seems to be pro-Labour. So attending this conference this morning in Oval, the cricket grounds, much has been made and briefed out by various figures in Labour, of course, that it sold out very quickly, that they had a waiting list, how if you look at, you know, the the number of people attending and just being there, it was very busy. You had figures from lots of the, you know, the big businesses there. And I think there was just a sense that people are very interested in the Labour government. Now, I think that is more because the polls say Labour are very, very, very likely to win the next election and have a decent sized majority. So of course, business needs to know what the future government would plan to do. That explains that poll. But you've also had Rachel Reeves putting a lot of time since she became Shadow Chancellor into trying to woo the business community. Um, I think try to, if you think back to Jeremy Corbyn when Richard Bergen was city minister, and I think he wants to quite a tricky interview where he almost confessed he hadn't actually gone to the square mile despite being city minister. This is not the case. Um, I was sat in this morning uh, in a round table with Chilip Sadiq, who now has that role. And you're talking about how, you know, one of the first things Rachel Reeves had told her to do when she got the job was just, you had to go out and meet as many people as possible and, you know, hear what they're saying and let us know what they're thinking and vice versa. So I think this is all part of, you know, carefully choreographed effort. And I think today's business summit was you know, almost the pinnacle of that by having you know so many there looking professional and so forth as for is labor pro-business it was interesting that rachel reeves used her speech to say that you know effectively this labor party does not think profit is a dirty word we think profit is a sign business is succeeding which might not sound particularly controversial but of course if you think back to john mcdonnell jeremy corbyn some labor activists it is a little bit um and in terms of her speech and the main announcement, it was on tax and it was a promise that a Labour government would have a cap on corporation tax. So it never went above its current rate of 25% in of the first term of a Labour government. And that was meant to offer some assurances to business. Now, of course, the Tories keep talking about tax cuts. So Jeremy Hunt warning this week, they might not actually be able to do too many in the spring budget, at least. This is not a tax cut. Rachel Reeves didn't rule out potentially having the option to cut corporation tax in the next parliament. I mean, I don't know why you would rule it out, really. But she said, say in a world where other G7 countries made their rates more competitive, she might have to look at the, making the UK's more competitive. But the message was, if you're thinking of investing, if you're thinking of your plans, you can work on that. And it goes back to something Darren Jones, the Shadow Chief Secretary to the Treasury, said to me in an interview, which is, they think they're going to get a stability premium, which is after the switching and turning of a Tory government with different leaders, lots of different measures. If Labour looks as though it 
is calm and stable then that is actually something that business will really want and it's quite a different face to be the party for example that's not lifting the cap on bankers bonuses as well yeah and I think that was probably one of the trickier parts for Rachel Reeves today which is as you say despite criticising the Tories heavily for lifting the cap on bankers' bonuses, the Labour Party and announcing its plan for the city, which I think broadly has gone down quite well with the city. But of course, one of the things in it is they would also not bring back the cap on bankers' bonuses. And I think that it's not necessarily so much opposition to that measure. There are some in the Labour Party who think there should be a cap, okay? But as we've talked about in this podcast before, you look at what it does in terms of attracting people to come here and so forth. Lots of different figures and different parties have argued that actually it's quite good not to have a cap. I think what is annoying or worrying more in Labour is the fact that you've had the Labour leadership and you've had MPs encouraged to almost attack the Tories for scrapping it. And therefore, to now have a situation where Labour is having to front it as something they would keep, they're just saying it's just adding to the sense of U-turns. And you could see it in the Q&A because the cap came up, but also what kept coming up was the £28 billion. So Rachel Reeves have just announced what they think is a good news story, corporation tax, something business will like, and that also should ward off some Tory attacks and add to this securonomics narrative they want to try to chart. And instead, you have the cap, but then several questions saying, well, you've just said this, but actually, you also said you'll spend 28 billion, you borrow that every year, you've really changed it once, and we all know you're going to change it soon. So how can we trust anything you're going to say? You have Rachel Rees falling back to Well, we've got our fiscal rules, which is a group response. But of course, right now you look at the polls and it isn't too much of a dent, but it is something that worries them. And I think it also is worrying in terms about what you might actually do when you're in government. Because if if plans you made far in advance are unravelling a little bit now, what does it say about what's coming next? And on the 28 billion, of course, you know, what they will say is, of course, we have to respond to the economy. But most pledges you make, you're pretty confident of. So I think that's a little bit of a cop-out to say all things are movable. It's like, okay, well, then why bother writing a manifesto? Just, you know, or, or do one where we can, like, change things depending on the time and um, ink we can remove. And I think there is just a sense now, something I write about in the magazine, that the speculation over the 28 billion and whether Labour will commit to, as they currently have, to in the second half of the Parliament reaching that in terms of borrowing for investment, it's now getting to the point that it's just dominating lots of the media coverage for Labour. Every morning round becomes about it, and there does need to be some certainty brought in either way. Keir Starmer this afternoon at the conference saying, we, will, we are committing to it in the second half of the Parliament, but so many people are now briefing against it. it it does not feel as though it is a settled issue yet. Especially when the big pitch to business is stability and going around saying, you know, the corporation tax has been changed 26 times in this parliament as they've sent out in their press release today. As Katie says, if they've only got, if they've kind of reduced their policy option and manifesto down to quite a few key things and they keep kind of changing the language around it and the lobby is pouring over every single word and intonation, Tulip Sadiq's uh, interesting LBC interview yesterday uh, and then obviously what Keir Starmer's been saying out on the doorstep, etc. Um, in terms of how it is, whether it's commitment or a pledge, Johnny Reynolds today on BBC Breakfast, um, that's the big thing. And I suppose the question is, I mean, obviously, they're so far ahead in the polls, it doesn't really matter. But CCHQ's 
whole strategy has been to try and point out that actually Kistama might have changed the top of the party, but there are quite a few divisions underneath it. You see occasional flashes of that on different issues, Gaza being one. So, so to hear Ali last week at PMQ's, Kate Osama's comments coming at Holocaust Memorial Day. So this is something that CCHQ would like to take advantage of. And obviously, because Labour is sort of 20, 25 points ahead in the polls, at the moment, I think everyone's sort of pulling together. But the question is, could that change? The other thing, of course, is that, you know, Labour governments previously have won big majorities. And you think 1966 uh, was a key great example of this. And yet within a couple of years, it got pushed and pulled and buffeted from event to event. And that could be the danger here. It might not stop winning the next election, but really these kind of issues are not thrashed out and they're kind of not clear and they're consistent in their thinking. What kind of Labour government is that going to be? And is that going to be the stability that businesses are crying out for? And James, let's move on to the Northern Ireland negotiations. What's happened in Parliament today? Yes, well, talking about a different bit of um, stability, I think uh, one of the really points of continuity of the post-Brexit years has been Northern Ireland, obviously, the past seven and a half years now, which didn't feature so much in the referendum, but has obviously been a key point about the future of this part of the United Kingdom. And obviously we had on... Very early morning of Tuesday, we had the news that there'd been a breakthrough with the DUP. Uh, Jeffrey Donaldson was going to back this agreement that Chris Eaton Harris and the Northern Ireland office had pulled together. Uh, and what we saw today was the debate on that, and it lasted about sort of three hours or so. But really, we were expecting a vote this morning, and we were expecting that vote to sail through because the changes that the government have announced through these two statutory instruments uh, were backed by the Labour Party, backed by the bulk of the Tory party. Speaking to MPs yesterday afternoon, I was really getting a sense that there wasn't the kind of you know, fury and furore that there was in so many of the previous Brexit debates. You remember the Windsor framework last year when there were talk of, you know, you can't even try without the DUP. Actually, although some DUP MPs were a bit critical and Sammy Wilson yesterday attacked uh, the Brexit betraying government of the House of Commons, what we did actually see was that no MP was prepared to even shout against it when it came to uh, voting on it earlier today. So they didn't force a division, therefore there wasn't a vote on it and it sailed through. There's a bit of bitterness on the DUP side, but what's really interesting is that European Research Group meeting yesterday at four o'clock, some of them chose so they would vote with the government if it came to a vote, others chose not to go against it or brief against it and so there wasn't a kind of mass rebellion we've seen obviously it means you know, big constitutional questions such as the future of Northern Ireland where you know, you've got a Sinn Féin first minister one of the union's biggest challenges since the 1920s Michelle O'Neill's going to be the first minister there and in terms of the internal Tory politics of it there's been a lot of criticism from the right of the party about Rishi Sunak's reading of the right on all this I think it's interesting that the European Research Group which was such a thorn in the side of successive leaders and particularly Theresa May of course brought her down on this issue I think probably had to go along with the government on it and what that means I think in the internal battles over the next few weeks could be interesting and remains to be seen. It means if, if we do perhaps even as soon as this weekend see power sharing restored at Stormont I think it's obviously important for lots of reasons and I do think given on this podcast we're quite quick to point out all the problems going on with the government right now and the Tory party more generally it will be an achievement that is down largely to work by Jeffrey Donaldson and um, the leader of the DUP but also Rishi Sunak and it goes back to that Windsor framework it didn't do what it he wanted to do initially but with these you know extra conversations these new changes we're now at a point where the union will look a lot healthier than it has in some time thank you katie thank you james and thanks for listening